The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Monday morning, the 27th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The dust may have settled, but the memory of rioting, violence and looting is vivid and almost everyone wants to be reassured that what we saw happen on the streets of Dublin on Thursday will never happen again. As Taoiseach, I want to say to a nation that is unsettled and afraid... This is not who we are, this is not who we want to be, and this is not who we will ever be. Leo Bradker speaking on Friday as questions started to grow about the adequacy of uh, the policing response to Thursday's riots. I have total confidence in Commissioner Harris and I have total confidence in the Gardaí. Confidence in the Garda Commissioner and the Taoiseach told reporters he has confidence in Helen McEntee as the Minister for Justice. Yes, I do. Um, Minister McEntee and I and, and the Garda Commissioner um, were in contact uh, over the course of yesterday evening. Uh, we had to end the events here in the castle early for obvious reasons. Um, decisions were, were made to prioritise the security response. The Taoiseach Leo Vradker. Now, as you know, Sinn Féin and others in opposition have said that they don't have confidence in either the Minister, Helen McEntee, or the Commissioner, Drew Harris. Let's discuss this now with Pad Daly, who is Sinn Féin's spokesperson on justice, and also Fine Gael Senator John McGahan joins us. And good morning to both of you, and thank you indeed for joining us on the line today. Pad Daly, first of all, you say you don't have confidence in in the Minister, will there be a private member's motion to that effect? Well, we're not there. There won't be one this week. Uh, we've been considering that, uh, that, that, that. The way that it works is that you have to submit uh, your, your motions uh, before the weekend, and we hadn't, uh, that hadn't been done. However, that's something that we're going to monitoring. We might be monitoring over the next uh, 24 hours. Uh, we think that the Minister should just resign and uh, if uh, not, then the Taoiseach should tell her to resign. It doesn't look like that's going to happen at the moment. We'll see what pans out over the next 24 hours, and then we'll make a decision when we, when we gather up tomorrow. So by tomorrow, uh, if the Minister hasn't decided, you will be looking uh, at whether to table a motion or not? Well, we'll see how things uh, go over the next 24 hours before we make a decision. Like we have, Michael, we have seen over the last 13 years that Fine Gael have had the Justice Ministry we have uh, people don't feel safe, as you said in in your intro. There, we have uh, an, a disaffected membership of Garda Siakana. We have a larger population, but we've less guard. No more so than in County Mead, which I think has the lowest uh, number of guard per head of population in the entire state. And there has been a series of incidents leading up to Thursday. We had the Sandwich Street incident. We had what happened outside the Dáil, and it, it's very hard for us. And I think for anybody to feel that there has been control over what what, what happened in Dublin city centre, there wasn't control. I think the minister is in denial over that. And uh, in relation to uh, the other incidents, there has been a, a tactic of a softly, softly approach. Uh, we, we think that clearly that hasn't worked. And the membership of Ngarda Siakana, they feel themselves that the institution, the organisation doesn't have their back. That's a, a serious problem. 
And I know that there was a meeting, of an online meeting on Saturday morning uh, of the GRA. And in, in addition to the, the decision that they had taken two months ago in relation to uh, their motion of no confidence in Angar Shia in that meeting, they have more difficulties while they praise, of course, and I do myself, the commitment and courage of all the Gardaí and, you know, and all the resting members who came in at short notice to, to shore up uh, the lack of control in Dublin city centre. Uh, they have serious pro- issues with the lack of equipment, the lack of refresher training and basic training in public order units, the lack of helmets, mm. the transport to get them in there. And uh, they don't have confidence. Uh, and we don't have confidence either. Okay. Um, people need to feel safe, Michael. Mm. Um, and is anyone who's listening confident uh, or satisfied with uh, the management, particularly of the main street in our capital city? I don't have faith or that, that anything is going to change. I believe that there is a requirement for, for a personnel change. And I think that I, I was listening to another radio station this morning and Minister Harris said that you have to be honest with people. And I don't think the government have been honest with people uh, in relation to p- crim- criminal justice and policing. And I think the only way to do that is with a change. OK, I'll be speaking with uh, the Garda Representative uh, Association later in the programme. No doubt they'll echo uh, much of what you've uh, just said. Uh, let me go back uh, to John McGahan, though, on the other line. Good morning to you, John, and uh, thanks, Hi. as I say, for joining us. Uh, h- how is it that Gardaí did not have the wherewithal to control well, it was basically a couple of hundred people. Yeah, I think I think the Guardi did have the wherewithal, uh, and I think their swift response to putting it down was proof of that. And we haven't had a riot of this nature, or indeed this kind of violence on streets in Ireland, probably since the British Embassy was burned down in 1972. So <clears throat> roughly we had 500 people. Well, we, 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 we had a much bigger riot in 2006, the Love Ulster riot, uh, which was controlled, had over 100 people arrested. Uh, on Thursday, 34 people were arrested. What do you mean uh, when you say the guards shut it down speedily? Yeah, well, th- that's what I believe they did. So we had 500 people involved in this, roughly. Uh, and pretty quickly, we had 400 Guardi on the streets with riot gear. Um, they were able to contain, they, you know, the reaction was very quick and they were able to contain it to a small part of the north inner city and then they were able to bring it under control. They weren't, so able, to prote- the they weren't able to protect their own members or, or their own equipment. Uh, when you see individual members of Angarda Shia being isolated and uh, attacked uh, and then their vehicles uh, set on fire, uh, yeah. you, you can't say that that was anywhere near control of the situation. No, I, I think really when you see the scenes that we saw there the other evening uh, and the Taoiseach and the Garda Commissioner and the Minister for Justice were clear about this, there definitely is going to be a very clear review about this to see what could have been done better, what could have been done to minimise it and what can be done to make sure that this doesn't happen again in the future. Uh, and that report has been carried out as we speak. Okay. But we have to be very, very clear about this. This was not the... Who is going to review it? But, uh, I mean, you're saying that the Garda Commissioner is going to review his own work and the Minister will review her own work because the question is uh, if people of greater ability should have been in those positions, who could have prevented, who would have foreseen this, who would have prevented it? No, what I I really want to say and be quite clear about this, this is not, you know, the Commissioner... the minister, the Guardi, they were not responsible for these folks coming onto our street last Thursday. They absolutely were not. But what they were responsible for, they were responsible for putting it down swiftly. They were responsible for ensuring that 50 people were arrested the following day and put in over the course over the weekend. They were responsible for the 
tough legislative measures we've taken in recent weeks when it comes to increasing sentencing, and they're going to be responsible for the tough legislative measures that we're going to take after this. So that's what we're doing at the minute as a government. And just to move on to this concept of no confidence in Helen McEntee and, and to pick up on what Pat said, where he said, we'll see how things go in relation to emotion and no confidence. Well, I'm glad to see the language has been lessened because that's a complete different language from what Louise O'Reilly said in RT. And I quote, if she won't resign, she needs to be taken out. I mean, that's the type of insidious language that pours more fuel in this fire. And I believe she's okay. been doing it. Well, let, let, let Pat Daly respond to that. Are, are you at odds with what Louise O'Reilly is saying, Pat Daly? Clearly, um, what, what she means is that, or what she meant is that, that Leo Varadkar should step in, take a decision and... Uh, and dispense with the services of the minister, but I think it's, and, it's and clear if that if not, I mean the clear indication is there'll be a table of no confidence, which would give the doll the ability to take her out. Well, it'll it'll allow the doll a, a decision to as to whether we have confidence in the justice minister, and clearly we don't. But I think that. Listening to what... But it's uh, not very clear what you're going to do. Uh, it's not very clear what the Sinn Féin position is. It's somewhat muddied uh, this morning uh, with... No, not, not at all, Mike. Not at all. Um, what, we, what we have is, it's up, first of all, it's up to the, the Taoiseach to make a decision as to whether he's happy, whether he has confidence in the work of, of the Minister. Given what has happened over the last uh, week and in, in the last few years since the Minister has been in... Um, uh, and I'm, I'm just the sound isn't good here. I'm hearing my own voice back here. Oh, but yeah. I think it's clear that the uh, from listening to uh, Senator McGahern, um, uh, the government uh, in total it seems to be in denial. The Fine Gael party seems to be in denial. Saying that there was a swift response on the night clearly is not the case. Saying, as Minister McEntee said, that there was a, a lack, that there was uh, that they, they had control, or there wasn't a lack of control. That's in, that's in denial. And over the last. Six months in particular, there was a, a denial from uh, Fine Gael ministers uh, who were taking questions in relation to justice in the Dáil. First of all, they said that they were going to achieve their target of 1,000 new guards. That was never going to happen because of the amount of guards who were entering into Templemore or the amount of trainees who were entering in there. They also repeated that Templemore, even this morning on, on another radio station, that Templemore was closed. The Justice uh, Committee which I remember to visit Templemore and guards are very frustrated there that ministers and representatives of the government continue to say that Templemore was closed during the COVID as an excuse as to why guard numbers weren't up. It was never closed. There's 160 courses go on there and all the way, all the time during the pandemic, uh, the, the, the college remained open. And now the government are in denial as to whether control was lost there was serious problems in relation to, you know, the intelligence that was coming through from uh, the guards uh, and and a response on the street. Mary Lou Macdonald, as you probably know, visited the school in Parnell Square, uh, the Gwale School in Parnell Square. You you could see from what was happening that there was protagonists there, and this ties into the difficulties that the guards themselves have been complaining about. There was protagonists there who were winding up people on the street, giving out about immigrants encouraging people to do all sorts of things to, to, to immigrants and people of colour who were in the area, and the guards didn't move in. And guards tell us, when, when we're speaking to them, that they feel that the organisation doesn't have their back. 
that if they, if they make a decision to go in and arrest someone who might have a video camera or a camera on their phone, that they don't feel confident. And that's a structural problem, it's an organisational problem, and really it's been a Gale's problem because they have held the Justice Ministry for the, pe- for, for the past 13 years. Public safety is a priority. People can't, don't feel safe. They, we saw the attack on the American tourist. There has been a pattern of difficulties over the last six months, 12 months in particular, and nothing has been done about it, and people don't feel safe. And if you can't keep the main street in our uh, mm. capital city safe, there's a serious problem. And I'd also like to take issue with something else that Senator McGahan said in relation to that it was a small part of the north in our city. It was the, it was the main street all the way, more or less, from Cape from. I, when I was in Dublin Thursday night, I saw Parliament Street. There was rioters there. Mm. The, the, the guards were there. From, from Parliament Street, up Aston Quay, all the way over O'Connell Bridge, you could see from the, from the videos that came out, Henry Street, mm-hmm. O'Connell Street, Parnell Street, all over there. It, it, geographically, it might be small, but strategically and symbolically, it was a massive statement of a failure. Uh, to act by this government. Mm, and John McGahan, you said earlier on that uh, nobody uh, in government is responsible for these nutters deciding to take to the streets in the way that they did, uh, in the shameful way that we saw on Thursday night in Dublin City. But there's nutters in every city, in every country in the world. Why do you think it is that Dublin was news all over the world because of a breakdown in law and order? Do you believe that's because a riot of that sort would never have been uh, allowed to continue as long as it did in any other European capital city, that it would have been shut down immediately or before it started? Yeah, well, I think a couple of things. First of all, what we saw was at the very beginning of this, uh, at the very beginning of events, was a very small number of far-right agitators that obviously inflamed the situation. Um, all of those people uh, are monitored by Angarda Siakona and monitored very, very closely. And a lot of uh, funding and support goes into doing that. Uh, and what happened after that was then, can, can you hear me okay there? I can hear you fine, yeah. Yeah, perfect, Michael. Uh, and w- what happened after that then was we had two to three hundred willing fools come straight into the city centre. Uh, and when you look at the address so what? of the people... So, that, so right? I, I mean, whatever about their motivation, uh, whether they were right-wing political activists acting to save the nation under the Irish flag or whatever perception they had of themselves, or if uh, they were just thugs and hoodlums uh, who saw an opportunity to break shop windows and steal, does it matter uh, in terms of the policing response? Why was it not shut down? No, but but I, I, I really do believe it was shut down. And as I said, we had 400 people, 400 guards on the street in proper riot gear, with proper equipment, with proper support. And they put that down, whether we like it or not. And just to touch on a couple of But it went on before, for hours. What do you mean it put down? The, 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 the vast majority of that, uh, that the whole situation lasted for roughly three and a half to four hours. And that's, majority, that's okay, is the it? Vast majority, no, the vast majority... That's an of awful long time. Sorry, sorry, Michael, if I can just finish my sentence, please. The vast majority of the violence was put down within an hour, within an hour and a half. Uh, and the rest of the city was taken safely under control with under three, three and a half hours. So Finnegale's definition of law and order is that it's okay to have four hours of anarchy. Absolutely. Absolutely, we can look at this and we can make sure that it doesn't happen again in the future and it won't happen again. Four hours of anarchy, that's Fine Gael law and order, is it? No, no. That's shutting it down speedily. No, and again, what I'm trying to say and the point that I'm trying to get across about this, 
this was an extremely dangerous situation that was responded to swiftly by everybody in Angarda Siakona. And it was Angarda Siakona who brought it under control. And it was Angarda Siakona who protected the situation from worsening uh, and having a much far worse situation than what we may or may not have well, had. Let me go back to now, Pat Daly. I'm sure that there were very many brave men and women on duty on Thursday night, but it, it did go on for what most people would consider to be far too long. Would you agree with that? Well, I do uh, pay tribute to the members of Angarda uh, Siakona who uh, dealt with the situation with probably an inadequate uh, resources, inadequate equipment, and from what they're saying themselves, uh, inadequate training, or they feel that they're, they're either the initial training or the, the refresher training uh, has not been provided, and they, they are seeking that on behalf of, of their members. And a lot of the uh, members of the, the organisation were, were put in extreme danger, and that's an organisational problem. I mean, I, I, I'm baffled that um, Senator McGahan is saying that it was put down swiftly. I don't think there's a single person uh, in the country would would necessarily agree with him, even even within his own party, and certainly not within Fianna Fáil. From from what I'm hearing from from people in Fianna Fáil, they do not they do not agree with that, particularly the Dublin TDs. But um, you know, it, it, I do agree with Senator McGahan. One thing that they're these people were nutters, were well, maybe not nutters, but they they were people who were spoiling for a row and interest in a row. They had mm. clearly no interest in the safety of children because number one, they compromised a, a crime scene, and then the the school uh, and my wife taught in that school for ten years, uh, and my brother did also actually. But uh, the, the staff had to remain in there. Uh, they, they couldn't have the meeting that they wanted to have to to get you know psychiatrists in or psychologists say that it was it would have been better to have the children in and because of the actions of all of these right-wing protagonists and the foot soldiers if you want to call them that on the ground who, who came in just to cause trouble but wouldn't necessarily have any ideology they prevented uh, the children getting the support that they should have got and so, so I, I agree with that but what do you what what's going to happen as part of the review now we feel that we, we don't have confidence in the current uh, people who are dealing with uh, crime and law and order in our capital city, and that's why um, uh, we Mary Lou McDonald came out on Friday and, and, and said that she doesn't have confidence uh, in the minister or, or indeed uh, of, of the commissioner. Okay, and uh, as you say, in the next 24 hours, Sinn Fein will decide on whether to table a motion. Uh, in... Yes, and just one more point there, yeah. Michael. Uh, it was mentioned about tough legislation that's coming in, like. We had the Garda Recording Devices Bill, which was, I think, going through the Shannon. The government had initially tried to tack on this uh, legislation in relation to body cams Mm. and facial recognition Mm. technology. Then they decided not to do that. While we don't have any difficulty with it, and certainly not in relation to body cams, because guards want it, we feel that it's it's good all round to have body cams with with Garda Shikona. However, um, you know, there was kind of an agreement that there might be some sort of a pilot project just to see, see what exactly yeah. technology is coming through. So to say that there's tough new legislation coming in isn't really the case. While they may be publishing the heads of bill on this uh, during the week, 
we kind of already know because they had tried to tack it on to the other legislation during the summer. So okay. to say that it's new legislation is not really. Uh, I was going to wrap up, but I'll ask uh, John McGann to, to respond to that. Yeah, yeah but thanks. but if you can, because it's also being be reported today that the minister is going to use uh, body cams uh, as a, a distraction by starting a fight with the Greens and introducing it now. We'll be talking, by the way, with the Irish Council for Civil Liberties about this later in, in the program. Uh, but your yeah. response to Pad Daly there. Just, just, just to touch on your point that you made there about body cams and the facial recognition, that's technology that's been used by the vast majority of Garda forces right around the world. It's standard practice. It's used in international organisations like Interpol, Europol. Okay. Yeah. The, Green, the Greens don't like it, the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. that's what we're going to bring in. But just to finish the point there about the legislation, I know we're tight, so I'll be very brief. We're passing that law on body cameras later this week. We're expanding the scope of facial recognition. We're increasing our prison capacity for 400 new spaces. And we've appointed 24 additional judges in the last couple of weeks to speed up our uh, speed up our court system. So that's what we're doing okay. now as a result of this. All right. Thank you indeed uh, for being brief Thanks there. In that. Thanks to both of you for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Fine Gael Senator John McGahan and Pa Daly, uh, Sinn Féin TD and Sinn Féin's spokesperson on justice. Our phone number, if you want to make comment today, is, as always, 0419832000. You can text or WhatsApp us on 0861800658 or email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. The Public Accounts Committee heard last week that there is an accumulated surplus in the National Training Fund of £1.37 billion. Euro. That's a surplus of £1.37 billion, nearly €1.4 billion. Euro. Let's speak to Imelda Munster, Sinn Féin TD for Louth and East Mead and a member of the Public Accounts Committee. Good morning to you, Imelda Munster. Thanks indeed for joining us. Uh, it's an awful lot of money. You described uh, the fact that it is a surplus as being ridiculous. Yes, I mean, it's it's £1.37 billion, as you say, and it's going to be um, 1.15 billion by the year's end and if they don't start to put it to good use by 2025 it could easily become 2 billion just sitting there not being used and I had asked the department could they name three big ideas in the last number of years that they've come up with to utilise the funds and what happened to those ideas um, and why we still have the surplus Mm. And the answer wasn't forthcoming because in their opening statement, they had said that um, what was preventing them from using it was EU fiscal rules. Um, and they, they had said that, you know, they couldn't use it because of that. But the chief economist, the government's chief economist in the Department of Finance just the day beforehand had said that there was absolutely no EU fiscal rules obstructing the use of the fund or the surplus. And he, he was very categoric in what he said, that he was aware of no EU restrictions whatsoever on the use of the fund. Now, just back up, what is the National Training Fund? Well, it's a dedicated fund to support employment training. You know, the the recipients of the funding would be Solace and the Higher Education Authority. It's employment-focused. It's to give young, you know, it could be used, for example, say, for apprenticeships, for Mm. digital training, uh, for future-proofing the youth. And that's what I put to them. You know, there's there's young people, early school leavers in every town, in every village, in every city across the country. And this, this fund has been building up since 2015, and it's just been sat there. 
Now, the department, um, the fact that they were no longer able to hide behind the EU rules, um, they had more or less said, put the blame on the minister, exactly, you know, that, mm. that they had said that they'd submitted a document of projects around how the money could be spent uh, to the minister and it's been considered. But, the, the, I mean, I was going to say the joke is it's no joke. I mean, this has gone on since 2015. And to say that they've, they've done absolutely nothing with that funding when they could be spending it on um, providing apprenticeships and digital training and mm. giving young people a trade. Uh, you know, uh, there's uh, a deficit uh, in the... How much would they spend typically in a year? Well, we didn't get the breakdown of those figures, right. to the best of my knowledge, anyway. But just, the, I'm not sure off the top of my head, and I wouldn't, don't yeah, want to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it just it, seems an awful lot of money, 1.37 billion euro. Yeah, yeah. You think of that and how much good use that funding could be put to, you know, to give... Particularly, I think, of all the time, early school leavers that are just hanging around, you know, the the if they go into jobs or in low-paid jobs, that's if they do, you know, or they, it's a preventative measure as well from getting them involved in either crime or drugs and all that sort of thing. Mm. And given what we've seen over the numbers of years to have almost, well, by the end of the year, it is going to be 1.5 billion, 1.5 billion euro sitting there and nothing being done about it. And the Minister, Minister Harris, he knows fine well the difficulties in towns, larger towns and cities, you know, that this has been allowed build up for years and the excuse given. So to my mind, both the minister has been lazy and not activating and the department have done damn all about it too. Mm. The minister being Simon Harris? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, what, what, what about the minister for public expenditure? Uh, because uh, you did hear um, that uh, it's uh, within... Uh, the minister's gift to approve spending, uh, and that spending has to be approved before the fund can use it. Yes, but but the the excuse the department were making was that EU fiscal restrictions prevented them from using it. And even that, I mean, what does that say about a government, that they know that money is there, mm. that they know they could make improvements in towns and cities mm. and provide training courses and apprenticeships for people, and they've just allowed it build up and build up. But does that you mean know, that if EU rules don't allow the one billion euro to be spent, uh, that that money will never be spent? Or well, are they expecting the no, rules to change? Or what? Why? No, the, the government chief economist, economist yeah. had said that there was no, not, no obstruction in mm, the use of mm. the funds. No obstruction whatsoever. So he's the government's chief economist. So he said more or less, well, there's no reason mm. why it can't be spent. And also, um, the National um, Training Fund is also funded by the European Social Fund. And in 2021, 9% of the fund came from the EU. But that money stopped in 2022. And has that money stopped going into the fund because Mm. there's that massive surplus? And are we missing out? on EU money because the department sat in its hands for almost 10 years. And I, I take it there's uh, funding that has been approved for, to be spent, but has gone unspent. There was a, a 105 million euro underspend in supports for students last year, I understand. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the impression you got from the department, because there was other issues too, 
um, that they're, they're, I mean, they haven't a whole lot to do, the department. You know, there's not, they haven't a massive amount of work to do. It's a, it was a department that was set up, I think, maybe more for Minister Harris. But it, it struck me and other members of the committee that <laughs> they do very little. You know, I mean, imagine a department sitting with that amount of money and not being proactive in putting it to good use and, you know, pushing for stuff. And a minister that knows it's sitting there idle and knows the benefits that communities could reap from that funding, you know, and then underspend in, in other areas, as you mm. said, students. You know, there's, there really is no, no excuse for it. And it's a massive, massive amount of money and that's just sitting there. And if it's stopping us getting additional money because of that surplus, then we're losing out purely why? Because neither the department or the minister have have come up with good, innovative ways of spending that money that benefits Mm. young people. And there's a a constant stream of funding, isn't there? Because uh, this comes from employers' PRSI. Yes, yeah, I think it's 1%. um, I think it's, I'm just trying to think, I think Mm. it's resourced by a levy of 1%, yeah, yeah. Mm. And and the the point, I think, that was being made uh, at your committee was that there's a lot of employers who can't get staff or can't get staff Mm. uh, who are appropriately trained uh, and why not use that money that they're paying into this fund to help train people uh, for the jobs that they are trying to fill. Well, the other thing is it's about future-proofing. You know, the, there's different reports being out that saying the jobs that are available now, there'll be a totally different set of skills needed in another five years and ten years. And it's about future-proofing. Now, if that money's sitting there, why can't it be used for that? But also, I mean, simple things like look at the deficit in the um, construction industry, you know, and people within the trade. They're saying government is always saying can't, you know, there's... There's tradespeople, carpenters, builders, electricians, all that sort of thing. Imagine giving a young person, an early school leaver, that apprenticeship where they they Mm. then have a trade for life or whether it's digital training for future proofing for for jobs coming, coming down in the future, you know, coming on in the future. It just is nonsensical to have that money sitting there. And also if we're... EU is not giving us additional money because that's sitting there and it hasn't been spent. You know, it, there's there's no sense to it whatsoever. And the minister and his department need to get their act together mm. and utilise that money and provide a future for for young people that maybe they, they wouldn't have a future otherwise. Yeah, well, it's a jaw-dropping amount of yeah, money that yeah. is just sitting, lying in a bank account yeah, somewhere. It's, it's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah it, is, okay. it is ridiculous. Yeah, All right. Yeah. 1.37 billion euro. Incredible. Yeah. Imelda Muster, thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme today. Imelda is uh, Sinn Féin TD for Louth and East Mead and a member of uh, the Public Accounts Committee. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's come to some of your comments. Thanks if you've been in touch. Uh, we were talking uh, about policing, uh, law and order and uh, the Minister's uh, position earlier on with 
Sinn Féin and Fine Gael, a text from somebody who said, please tell John McGahan to cop on. I'm a member with 20 year service and we were under pressure. Drew Harris is not fit for purpose. We didn't have enough shields when it kicked off, says our caller. Thanks indeed uh, for that. John McGahan also caught the attention of Paddy and Terman Fecken, who was texting us saying, Michael, who is this Fine Gael spokesperson trying to convince himself? Now, for something more credible, riot, we need to solve these issues with our children turning into misguided, non-directional adults. UNICEF researched why the children of an average age of 12 rioted in the UK in 2012. And believe it or not, the subheading of the white paper was turn off Spongebob to under 12s. The thinking is these young minds were overloaded with consumerism and constantly being told how to think and where to go. A credible research. Did anyone listen? You cannot. This is an energy that will find an outlet. You cannot stop uh, a wave. Only redirect it, says uh, Paddy in Terman Feckin. Thanks indeed. Uh, I hope uh, that there are uh, solutions at hand, uh, not just uh, for the few nutters that are living in this country now, but also for our children and to save them from falling into that. Uh, Patsy in Carrick notes that Sinn Féin want McEntee to go but who do they suggest should take her place, asks Patsy. Paddy Duffy in touch, saying there aren't 400 Gardaí in the entire state that have riot gear and training. There may have been 400 Gardaí on the streets eventually, but they all didn't have riot gear or training. Uh, somebody else then in touch, saying those thugs can run amok whenever they choose and the Gardaí need to get tough on them. Jim and Navin says, Michael, any of the thugs who were rioting last week and are on social welfare should have it reduced for at least a year to punish them in some way. Those who have jobs should be sacked and criminal records added to their names. This thuggery must be stamped out immediately, says Jim. Well, thank you indeed uh, for your message uh, to the programme as well today, Jim. Uh, We'll be hearing lots more I'm sure about this over the coming hour and indeed coming weeks and months and hopefully we won't have a a repeat of what happened on Thursday in the coming days but that of course is uh, the concern and how well equipped are the Gardaí to deal with such an event we'll be hearing uh, from the Garda Representative Association uh, as I mentioned in the programme uh, a little bit earlier on later today if you stay with us. Uh, Another text that came to us, there was a lot of messages that came to us uh, on Friday uh, that we didn't get to. Maggie was texting saying uh, she was listening to the interview with Christy Mangan, retired Chief Superintendent. If Christy wouldn't stay in Dublin and have a meal because of what he witnessed, isn't that enough? Jesus, Michael, this fear in the streets of Dublin is serious. We have a serious problem that is getting worse. I I fear it ain't over as in tonight, tomorrow night, etc. The thing, Michael, is how far will this go beyond Dublin? Because these evil thugs are in every town. I live for my Christmas trip to Arnott's. Well, not this year. I'm sick to my stomach about what happened. Uh, And as for the Gardaí, 
they did their very best in an horrific situation. Bus drivers the same uh, and many more. Ireland is changing and not for the better, says Maggie. Maggie says, God love the victims. Please, God, they get well as always. Thank you indeed, uh, Maggie, for your message to the programme. If you want to make a comment today, our telephone number is 041-983-2000. Text or WhatsApp 86 Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, the guns finally fell silent over Gaza this weekend. And as you've been hearing, there are hopes now that the four-day truce could be extended beyond today. This is part of what the American president, Joe Biden, has been saying about the truce. Critically needed aid is going in and hostages are coming out. And this deal is structured so that it can be extended to keep building on these results. That's my goal, that's our goal, to keep this pause going beyond tomorrow so that we can continue to see more hostages come out and surge more humanitarian relief into, into those in, who in need in Gaza. We've seen this is the day-by-day approach, hour-by-hour process. Nothing is guaranteed and nothing is being taken for granted. But the proof that this is working and worth pursuing further is in every smile and every grateful tear we see on the faces of those families who are finally getting back together again. And the proof is little Abigail. More than 20 other children, 18 years and younger, have been released. They've been released through this deal as well. They've endured a terrible ordeal. And they can now begin the long journey toward healing. And I'm going to continue working with the Emir of Qatar, President Sisi of Egypt, and Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel to do everything possible to see the hostages are freed, all the hostages. I'm grateful for the personal partnership as we pursue this deal from each of those men I just mentioned. And as we've worked together to see the see all this implemented and now to try to extend it further. I'll continue working with all our partners to take the hard but necessary steps to build an integrated and more prosperous and more peaceful future in the region. A two-state solution is the only way to guarantee the long-term security of both Israelis and Palestinian people. To make sure Israel and Palestinians alike live in equal measure of freedom and dignity, we'll not give up on working toward that goal. So thank you very much. But thank God she's home. The little, I guess can't imagine the enjoyment and the all right, that's the uh, American President uh, Joe Biden talking about the long-term security uh, in Gaza, giving some reason for hope, uh, perhaps, uh, until uh, you listen to the Israeli side, which seems intent on continuing its uh, destruction of Gaza and uh, the slaughter of its people. Let's speak to Ibrahim Alaga, who's on the line with us once again. A very good morning to you, Ibrahim, and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. It's uh, getting close to two weeks since you, as an Irish passport holder, as an Irish citizen, managed to get out of uh, Gaza. Hell on earth, as it's uh, described by the United Nations. I I take it uh, that the truce over the last number of days has been very welcomed by people in Gaza. Are you in contact with anyone there at this stage? Yes, and good morning. Um, yes, I am in contact with them. Um, 
the, the truce is happening. It, it's getting calmer. They're, they're not hearing the fighters in the sky or the drones. Um, but they're still struggling with the food and the water. But they're still having massive problems with those. Um, mm. But at least, there's, as you said, the slaughter has been paused now. Yeah, and the slaughter uh, possibly best depicted by a headline I saw recently uh, uh, that, that said dogs were eating corpses in the street. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I've heard that news. Yeah, very sad. It's a, a, a dreadful situation, one that none of us uh, sitting here can comprehend. Obviously, one that you're very familiar with, having lived through it uh, and uh, lucky to be out, no doubt, worried about those who you left behind. Uh, when you speak to people now, do they believe that there is the possibility of peace talks or, or of this truce extending for some time? Yes, people have really big hopes. Um, although, um, I mean, I was just here uh, listening to what Joe Biden was uh, c- commenting mm-hmm. about the whole situation. People, you know, the people there, they they feel so bad because of the injustice about this world. So Biden and the whole world is, is always talking about the hostages freed from Hamas. But no one is really talking about the thousands and thousands of prisoners that are now in, still kept uh, in Israeli prisons. Most of most, a lot of children and a lot of uh, females, even kept without a court or order, anything. You know, um, no one talks about them. No one knows about them. Um, they all the world knows is just about the hostages that are being freed, and is and as if the whole war is just because of that. No, but we have a lot of problems in Palestine mm. and Gaza. But are really suffering. Three times uh, as many prisoners than hostages being released. Yeah, but no one talks about them. No one mm. talks about the other thousands. I mean, there's there's what two hundred um, uh, hostages in, in uh, Israeli hostages in Gaza. What what about the ten thousand that are in Israel? You know. That- hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, "What the." F- are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mm. Prisoners. Mm. Uh, well, Israel will say they're terrorists uh, and Israel is supported by the United States. Well, 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 there's a lot of children. How how could a child be a terrorist? There's there's hundreds of children uh, and 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 women that have been just freed now without even a court order. So how are they a terrorist? Mm. So um, well, and go, and going back to the point that I made that Israel is supported by the United States. H- how do you feel about the United States or or people that you're speaking to feel about the United States and its support, not just now but over uh, many decades uh, for Israel? It's it's this injustice and this double standards and this um, people in Gaza they feel their their life is worth a lot less than what the Israelis are. Um, this injustice, this is what really hurts the people. Mm. And we've heard some terrible racism from uh, the Israeli administration uh, talking about Palestinians as inferior beings. That's right, that's right. And punishing 2.5 million people uh, 
letting them starve and and go to thirst and cutting medical supplies and i mean uh, un- the world is just unfair and unjust okay am i right in thinking ibrahim that your parents are still in gaza no well um, my parents they were by by luck they were here when the so they were visiting my mm. brother in the states they were planning to come here for a couple of days and then move to gaza but this all happened when the war started so they are um still here um not sure what mm. their plan will be we're just thinking what the best solution for them is now okay well um, uh, what about yourself how are you uh, getting over your experience, how are you coming to terms with your experience? Your home, uh, close well, to two weeks, uh, along with your three lovely children yeah. and your wife. I'm sure things haven't been easy. Yes, but we're trying. Um, now the children are strong and resilient. I, I didn't expect them to recover that fast. Um, and I think we, what I'm trying to do is push everyone back to normal. So I, I send my children to school last week and I've been to work as well last week. I'm actually talking to you while in the office this morning. Um, so trying to get back to the normal life. So we've been doing, we went to a park, we went for shopping. We had a lot of shopping to do as we've lost nearly everything. Um, so um, back to normal life. And when you say you've lost nearly everything, you uh, left Gaza with little more than the shirt on your back, is it? Uh, that's it. And my phone and my passport, and even my phone, um, my wife, she lost her phone and a um, lot of clothes that we had, they're all, they all just stayed in that apartment that I lost. Okay. Uh, and you had a lot of outgoings as well, a lot of expenses uh, in getting out of yep. Gaza. Yeah, as, and and also during the war, I mean, everything was super expensive uh, during the war. So I nearly lost everything um, during that, that the 40 mm-hmm. or 50 days that I was there. Okay, and I understand people have uh, set up a, a GoFundMe uh, page to try That's and correct, help yes. you through this period. That's correct, yes. And I thank everyone who have um, donated to that page. Thank you very much. Okay, and how, how is that going? I think it's going well, although it's it's slow the uh, yesterday and today. But it's 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 okay. It's it's doing fine. Okay, but uh, as you say, uh, you're kind of in dire straits financially as a result of everything combined, having to pay for hotels, uh, getting back. Uh, and uh, covering uh, accommodation and looking after family, the children back in school uh, and so on. You're in work, uh, um, but it's a month off from your next pay slip. Uh, exactly. And uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, uh, how can people support? Uh, how can we find the GoFundMe page? I think if you search for um, helping the Alaga family settle in Ireland. So that's the that's the headline or the. Uh, OK. Subject or yeah, A L A G H A. Help the Alaga family. A L A G H A. Very good. Uh, what, what kind of conversations have you been having in work, Ibrahim? I, I take it the conversations in the canteen are different uh, to the type of ones most of us would have. Indeed, the same with your children in the schoolyard. What are what are people saying to you or asking of you? Well. Um, th- um, it's mostly focused around how did we survive? How did we make it through? I mean, I have documented a lot of photos and videos that I took explaining how did we manage food? How did we manage water? How did we manage the 90 people in that small space? How did we manage medicine? For example, we had diabetic people in the house. 
Um, how did we manage entertaining the kids um, and comforting them when there's an explosion? I have a lot of photos and videos about all of that. My journey is to get food every day um, and just showing the people, showing the solutions that we came up as a group, you know, to survive. So that is the main focus, really. Okay, well, best of luck. Uh, I, I I hope uh, that uh, you remain um, confident uh, that you've escaped the worst of it, and uh, that there aren't many nightmares for you or the rest of your family uh, as a result of uh, the experience. Uh, I think everybody uh, was delighted to see you get out, and I'm sure that people will be happy to support you get back to normal as well. Help the Alaga family on GoFundMe. Thank you indeed for joining us once again. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you very much. Ibrahim Alaga there. Now let me uh, go back uh, to the phones. Uh, We'd marry and trim about uh, the trouble in Dublin. The riots in Dublin. Uh, I don't know if there's a, 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 an appropriate word for it, uh, but it was disgraceful. Mary says, Michael, one or two water cannons would have solved the problem uh, if they had uh, got a, a lend of a water cannon before Drew Harris uh, would know all about the thugs. Um, they can run riot. Guards aren't properly armed. Uh, it's not much good, says Mary in Trim. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, and just to remind you, if you want to make comment, our phone lines are open 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. We'll be speaking to Tara McManus of uh, the Garda Representative Association in a minute. And our email address is michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. A couple of emails that have come to us. Uh, we'd uh, Peter Bennett, who says, Hi, Michael, listening to your debate on policing law and order and uh, Helen McEntee's role as Minister for Justice. I suggest swapping McEntee with Simon Harris uh, would be a perfect fit. McEntee, Peter says, is too liberal and trying to please everyone. Thank you indeed for that. Thanks as well to Liam Faulkner emailing us saying, Michael, the government needs uh, to wake up. This is not just happening in Dublin. It's simmering in Drogheda, Navan and other towns. Not so long ago, Councillor Tommy Riley asked for the army to be put on the streets. Are they all asleep up there in the doll or what, says Liam. Well, thank you for your email as well to michael at lmfm.ie. Let's uh, continue that conversation. It's one I think that's going to continue for weeks, if not longer. Tara McManus, Assistant General Secretary, of the Garda Representative Association, the GRA, is on the line. Good morning to you, Tara, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. As we heard earlier this morning, uh, the GRA met on Saturday morning. Uh, What are uh, the thoughts of your members uh, as things stand now uh, about the position of Drew Harris and indeed that of uh, the Minister, Helen McEntee, as uh, the Minister for Justice. Uh, there's been a lot of criticism of uh, the response to Thursday night's riots. How do rank and file guardy feel? Good morning, Michael, and good morning to your listeners. Um, and if you might humour me, I might start by just firstly commending our members and the commitment and the courage that they showed um, in very difficult circumstances and, and how they conduct themselves on Thursday evening and in particular 
uh, we would like to express appreciation to the members from around the country who dropped all and made their way to assist their colleagues in Dublin City Centre in probably one of the most difficult and harrowing situations that our members have ever find, found themselves in and certainly in, in my time in the Guards. Perhaps with the, with the exception of the Love Ulster riots back in 2006, um, we haven't seen anything like that in our streets for quite some time. Um, there is a lot of discontent, Michael. There is a lot of frustration uh, among our members and I suppose a feeling that things just weren't managed the way the way they could or should have been. As you rightly said there, our association met with the Commissioner on Saturday morning to discuss various issues and we would have raised things like uh, refresher training for all our public order uh, uh, members, just a general training on our pepper spray, handcuffs. So a lot of that refresher training hasn't been properly conducted since before covid um, the risk to our members who are not ordi- ordinarily issued with protective helmets. Um, and then a need to review and identify the failures that saw individual members isolated. And we've seen some horrific footage of members being isolated and attacked by groups and groups of people and, and calling them names and, you know, get them and, and this sort of thing. I mean, really harrowing and frightening things to look at. So it's, they're the things and, that and we have questions, raised. And questions, questions too, mm-hmm. sorry for cutting across you, Tara. Yeah. Questions too uh, about uh, why Gardaí in that situation where they were isolated and attacked didn't raise their batons. Yeah, Michael, um, and, and that is something that our members have said to us and, and that comes, I suppose, from this massive impact of oversight. Um, our members have lost their confidence to use their protective gear. So, you know, an ordinary guard on the beach or whatever in a car is armed with the pepper spray, with a baton and with a set of handcuffs. And then obviously your public order unit have have the more, you know, extensive equipment such as shields and helmets and uh, larger batons. But our members have absolutely, they have lost their confidence to use their equipment. They know that the minute they pull the mask, the minute they put their pepper spray out, they will have to write a report. They will have to justify their use of force. And um, I heard um, Christy Mangan talking to you on Friday as well about this. And, I mean, public order policing is messy. I mean, you, you can't deal with what we saw on Thursday night um, with calmness. It, it has to be messy. It has to be almost violent in its um, approach and in, in how you deal with it. And our members are, are losing the confidence to actually use that level of training or use that level of, of force out on the streets because they know afterwards questions will be asked. Some of them will face discipline, some of them will face um, suspension and some may even lose their jobs mm. for being told that the use of force that they used was excessive. Messy, so prob- messy probably is a, a, a good word to describe yeah. uh, a riot and the policing of a, a riot. Uh, it certainly is violent and nobody wants to see rioting or riots being tackled by a police force. Uh, too often uh, but it, it, it happens and it happens everywhere and that's how police forces generally tend to respond isn't it uh, and they don't seem to have any problem with it what is the difference between police forces internationally and the Irish police force well I suppose it's not something that we are commonly faced with but there has certainly been a step back in relation to the training that our members are being issued with look Michael I have been talking to you and your listeners for the last year and that's one of the many issues that we have been raising and I suppose all of these issues are what led us to, to the events of September when we actually balloted our members in relation to our confidence in the Commissioner. We've been talking about equipment, we've been talking about training, 
how better off would he have, we have been on Thursday even if we had body-worn cameras up and running for our members. So all of these things that we have been pushing for and asking for just haven't been delivered. Mm. And they, they come together and they accumulate in what you see on Thursday night. You know, guards, isolated guards, afraid to actually strike out, guards afraid to actually, as you said, do what they need to do, get in there, get messy, get aggressive and do what you need to do to quell that sort of situation. If guards had body cams, would they be more inclined to use the pepper spray, cuffs and battens? Possibly, because they would have that confidence of knowing that the whole scene that they've been involved in has been recorded, that whoever is looking at this data down the road can see the events that led up to it. Um, but again, we could have used those body cams to, to more quickly identify the culprits. Now, I know a number of them have been identified and have been arrested, but had we body-worn cameras... Firstly, in and itself, it might be a deterrent to that sort of behaviour if every single, you know, gang member or hoodlum or whatever they were that arrived in the streets there on Thursday evening, if they knew that every guard was wearing a body-worn camera and was recording the whole incident, they might have been a little bit more reluctant to actually come into the city and engage in the behaviour that they did. OK, uh, and with those cameras, uh, you want facial recognition technology? I think it's important, and, and as long as there's oversight with regards to it, I mean, obviously the guards themselves won't have access to that data. It'll go into a, a central a central location, and it'll be, you know, only drawn down when it's used, and, and as long as the circumstances, you know, provide that it needs to be drawn down. But I think it's very important that, that we have that, and we can see how beneficial it would have been to us in the aftermath of Thursday. Um, it's a flawed system, though, and uh, the experience of facial recognition technology in other countries has proven that it can lead to injustices uh, and people being wrongly identified, particularly people of colour uh, and black women in particular, uh, wrongly identified. I'm not aware of those statistics, Michael. And look at what I would say about about the Irish jurisdiction and, and the legislation here. I mean, as long as it's closely monitored, as long as you know, the right people have access to it and it's only used in these exceptional circumstances. I think certainly it's something that we can look at, but, but certainly the use of the body-worn cameras would have been a huge advantage to our members on Thursday night. OK. Um, it's quite possible that something like this will happen again. Um, the far right have a, a foothold. Uh, it is only a small group of people, but they're very active, uh, not just on their keyboards, but on the streets, as we saw last Thursday, as we saw uh, at uh, the Dáil uh, in September and on other occasions uh, for that matter. Uh, has the Gardaí, as a police force, the wherewithal to tackle another riot of this sort? Well, we would hope after Thursday, certainly there are questions that will need to be asked and there are lessons that have to be learned. And certainly for ourselves, as the association that represents the rank and file Gardaí, who, who are the people who will be dealing with that, we will be asking that and we will be asking why was there such a delay and actually asking for additional resources. We have anecdotal evidence coming in for our own members that you know they were looking for additional support for a long time before that additional support was actually sought by management. So these are all the questions that we're going to ask. You know, was there intelligence there? I mean, there's been lots of um, debate and discussion over the weekend about various people who have access to media and who say, you know, that the dog on the street would have known that this was brewing and that, you know, I have a 14-year-old son and when I came home from work on Friday evening, he showed me on his phone that he could see that this was happening. He's only 14 and he's just using his own Snapchat and Instagram or whatever it is that he used. So, I mean, if a 14-year-old 
can see what was happening, you would imagine that, you know, our intelligence units and indeed our senior management should, should have been in a position to see that this was happening. These are all part of the questions that we're going to be asking over the coming days and looking for looking for answers and looking for guarantees that if this does happen again, that our members are going to be given the proper resourcing, the equipment, but they're going to be prepared and they're going to be ready for this if it happens. Our members will do it. They will absolutely step up to the plate. They show that on Thursday night. They travel from all ends of the country to be there. Our members will do it, but they just need the protections in place to protect them and they need the confidence to be mm. able to go out there, as you said, engage in messy public order policing. If that's what it takes to, to quell this, then they need to be given the confidence and the insurance that they can do that without having to worry about the, the after effects. And after um, you ask about the assurance, if you are given the assurances uh, that you're looking for so that you will be equipped to take on uh, uh, another riot of that sort should it happen again, I, I take it the next question will be why those measures weren't in place. Why was that not a strategic part of uh, the policing plan? And again, yeah, we don't have the answers, Michael, yet to those questions. And we certainly, we, we, inter- we are meeting with the Commissioner in the coming days again. And we would hope that these questions will be asked, or certainly as the investigation continues, that uh, the Commissioner and his management team will be in a better position to actually provide us with those answers. And again, yeah, huge lessons to be learned and all have to be used as part of a policing plan going forward for these tor- sort of events. Mm. And I, I take it that it did very little uh, in fact, I'm sure it did nothing to uh, instill any confidence in Drew Harris as the commissioner. Well, look at our membership gave us a very strong message last September regarding their lack of confidence in the Garda commissioner and nothing in the meantime has actually changed that. But look, I'm not going to use the, the shameful events, shall we say, of the past few days to take a pop at the commissioner. But I will say that we as an association have been highlighting Four years, the deficiencies in public order training, the lack of proper resources, the lack of equipment and the events of the last few days have only further, you know, kind of emphasised that and, that you know, that everything we've been talking about is in fact a problem and an issue and the Commissioner and his team, you know, desperately need to, to address these. OK. Uh, and as one of our callers says, it's simmering air, uh, beneath the surface everywhere else. Uh, would that be uh, your assessment of the situation? Um, well, look, we, we have had incidents around the country and we have, you know, had various things that happen in, in, in regard to, to foreign nationals. And, you know, their tents been burned down in Dublin a number of weeks ago and months ago and incidents that happened in Clare. So so this is something that seems to be very much, you know, on the increase. Um, and it's something that as, as a police force and as a service, we need to be a little bit more aware of and we need to have, have the, the equipment, we need to have the resources and the training in place to deal with it. But we can see there is a little bit of unrest and there is that feeling around the city and certainly this idea that our streets are safe, you know, people are not feeling that. Certainly around the weekend, I know a lot of people didn't go to events that they had organised and tickets they had bought to various things that happened in the city. People didn't go in because they just didn't feel safe. And that's not a nice place to be. Um, and it's certainly not a nice place for our members to be policing in a city where people don't feel safe and where they don't have the resources, they don't have the numbers to actually efficiently do that. OK, we'll leave it there for the moment, Tara. Thank you, as always, though, for joining us today. That's uh, Tara McManus, who is the Assistant General Secretary of uh, the Garda Representative Association, the GRA. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Well, uh,
as you've just heard from uh, the Garda Representative Association, rank and file Gardaí believe uh, that if uh, they had body cams and uh, the authority to use facial recognition technology, that uh, it would have made their job somewhat easier on Thursday. Uh, FRT, uh, as facial recognition technology uh, is uh, known as, uh, will be legislated for, it seems, uh, in uh, the coming days. Uh, let's speak now to Liam Herrick of the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. Liam is the Executive Director with the Irish Council for Civil, Civil Liberties. He's on the line. Uh, and good morning to you, Liam. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, this legislation has been coming down the tracks for some time, but many people would say what happened on Thursday would make the argument for it. Would you see any logic in that? Uh, good morning, Michael. I think it's important to separate out two different pieces of legislation that I think are being confused in some of the commentary around this. There's legislation that will be passed in the Dáil this week which will change the law on the use of CCTV footage and also will provide a legal basis for the guards to have body-worn cameras. That will be passed this week. And then with the body cameras a pilot project will be initiated sometime next year before they're rolled out. Um, That's already been debated very extensively. But on the use of facial recognition technology, this is a form of artificial intelligence that's been banned in many parts of the world, gives rise to very serious questions about its accuracy, its bias against women, against young people. It doesn't work really effectively with certain sections of the population. Um, That's the government initially wanted to include in this bill, but they backed down. They backed down because there was opposition within government and from, from groups like Green ourselves Party. outside of government. From the Green, the Green Party. Party. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So on that part of it, the Minister for Justice will not be bringing forward legislation on that until sometime next year. And the point that we're at at the moment is officials within our department are only preparing the heads of bill which will go to cabinet to give them approval to draft the legislation. So what happened yesterday was that the minister indicated as part of that process she wants to increase the list of offences where facial recognition technology might be used for. But the key thing here is that this will have to go before cabinet, it will have to go before pre-legislative scrutiny in the Oireachtas, and only at that stage are we likely to have any legislation even proposed sometime in the middle of next year. So that's some way off, and I Mm. think there's a long road because the legal obstacles that forced the government to drop its proposals earlier this year are still there. Um, The European Union is setting legal standards, which may very well limit what Ireland can do, uh, and the human rights and privacy concerns that we and other groups have are going to be valid regardless of what the list of offences is. Okay, but right now, members of Angarachia Corner are looking at CCTV in real time, trying to find people responsible for the riots so that they can charge them and prosecute them, uh, if that's possible. A a tedious job, I'm sure, to do that in real time. Uh, Could they not be assisted through this technology? Well, I think that there's an assumption out there that if the guards had had facial recognition technology, it would have made a difference with regard to last Thursday's event. Not at all sure that it would have. Um, in terms of this question about the amount of time that's spent going through CCTV footage, I mean, 
that argument stands up if you believe that facial recognition technology is an accurate and effective tool which will lead to positive outcomes mm. and won't bring a whole lot of problems with it. And the international evidence that we would point to has said that whereas if it did all the things everybody claimed it would do, of course it would be useful, but in fact, in practice, it doesn't tend to work out like that. Mm. And we in Ireland are a long way away from being able to use facial recognition technology in policing. Uh, and I think as we look at this question more closely, I think the arguments against it will hold out. We will see that the the promise from this won't be delivered. Mm. But if the um, computer, if you like, uh, told the guardee that it had spotted me with um, some sort of weapon in the middle of these riots, could that not just be looked at and somebody say, no, that's not Michael Reid. Um, somebody lo- looks a little bit like him or doesn't look like him at all or whatever the case may be. Is there not a human element to it uh, that could act as a safeguard? Well, you're talking then really about you know human analysis of CCTV, which is what happens already. And um, of course, there's a high volume of CCTV footage out there, as I say, the law on the guard use of CCTV is actually being updated this week as it stands. Um, but the question of deploying algorithms and AI programs to do this for us, um, what we're seeing the more we learn about it is that it just doesn't work very effectively. So it's quicker, but the results are less accurate. And to the point of which many countries, for example, San Francisco now has banned its use in law enforcement. Uh, the German government has looked to ban its use in law enforcement because they see the downsides as being greater than the upsides. And we've had this debate already a little bit in Ireland. We know we've discussed it on this programme, Michael, as well. Um, last year, the government had, you know, in, in, in the summer, the government had to accept that the case for it wasn't strong enough. And we'll have another go at it again next year. And if the minister is able to bring forward new evidence that this uh, technology is safe well we'd be very interested to see it but the international trend is against this mm. and the European Union is drafting legislation on artificial intelligence at the moment which may actually stop Ireland doing this in the first place. Do you agree that there's something wrong in the balance of rights between thugs and police officers when you hear of Gardaí being surrounded by a group of thugs uh, and afraid to draw their baton there's something wrong, isn't there? I think there's very serious questions need to be asked, Michael. Absolutely. And if we look at all of the various issues that I think should be examined in regard to last Thursday, the commissioners come out and said we should have a fundamental review of public order policing. On Friday morning, the commissioner felt the need to issue instructions to members of Angarda Siakana about the law on the use of force. Now, if that is the case, that indicates that there's a gap of knowledge and that officers are not clear on their legal powers. And indeed, the Garda Representative Association over recent days has said that there has been a gap in the training of police officers to engage in public order policing. So if members of Garda Shikana are not being provided with adequate training and are not being clearly instructed as to what the legal requirements are around use of force, I think that that's a problem. Where I think that there's a danger here is that there has been some suggestions, purely anecdotal, that the problem here is that there's too much oversight of the guards and that's what's stopping them carrying out their functions. 
I think we have 20 or 30 years now mm. of understanding what happens when you don't have proper oversight and accountability of police. We have sparing to no instances of guards being brought before the courts for excessive use of force. It is extremely rare in this country. So I think we need to really look at this in the round and look at it in a serious way. If guards are not given proper equipment, if guards aren't properly trained, if guards don't know the law, that is certainly an issue. But also, we need to look at the management of resources. I mean, if guards were ending up in an isolated situation in front of a crowd that was violent last Thursday night, what does that say about the deployment of manpower and resources? What does that say about operational control? Uh, and I think if, if the commissioner is serious about such a fundamental review of how operations like this are conducted, I think that would be very constructive and helpful. But you accept that the Gardaí have to be violent at times themselves, whether that's using pepper spray or batons or water cannons? Of, of course. I mean, guards are legally entitled to use force. But this isn't a simple binary question, Michael, between light-touch policing or heavy-handed policing. It's about the flexibility and the proportionality everywhere in between to deal with each situation appropriately. Now, I want to be absolutely clear Public order policing is difficult, it's complex, there's, there's a lot of factors that need to be taken into account, and no police service will always get it right. But we need to train and equip our guards to be able to respond appropriately to different situations. In some situations, they will use a very low level of force, and they should always use the minimum required. But of course, if violence escalates, they will need to resort to higher levels of force in a proportionate manner. And if there is a difficulty about how those decisions are made, and if there is a, decision, a difficulty about how those decisions are communicated to the guards, well, I think then that is a very serious situation. And the bottom line is, on Garda Shikana lost control of the situation for an extended period of time last Thursday, and that is a fundamental policing failure. That's mm. obviously a huge public concern. Um, okay, but, the, but if we, had, had, we seen, had we seen a line of Gardaí run at rioters with their batons out or firing water cannons at them, uh, no doubt uh, the Irish Council for Civil Liberties would have been the first to ask, was it proportionate? Well, I think what you said there, Michael, is correct. We, we would ask if it was proportionate. But, I mean, there are situations in which force needs to be used. We absolutely accept that. We always do accept it. I think there's some kind of suggestion in the last couple of days that the idea of the guards using batons or using physical force is unknown in an Irish context. That certainly isn't our experience. I mean, over a long period of time, we've seen many instances which the guards have deployed force against protesters, and sometimes that's been excessive, and sometimes, you know, there has been legitimate public concern. I'm thinking of instances like the May Day events in Dublin in the early 2000s, some anti-austerity protests as well. Uh, and there's been other instances where the guards have not had enough capacity to respond to serious situations and they've got out of control. I'd be the first to say, Michael, it's difficult to get that balance right. But we need to have a proper framework that allows the guards to operate with flexibility and proportionality within the law and then be held accountable afterwards if things go wrong. And I think we are seeing that we have cracks and weaknesses in how we do public order policing in Ireland that really demand a wider consideration. All right.
Liam, thank you for joining us as always. Nice to talk to you, Liam Herrick, Executive Director of ICCL. That's the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. A text uh, from somebody who says, Michael, facial recognition wouldn't work or wouldn't have worked last Thursday because most of the yahoos were wearing masks. Uh, an interesting point. I'm not sure if it wouldn't work, if it worked at all. Uh, as Liam Herrick says, it can be very flawed. That's been the experience elsewhere. But I, I thought it was meant to work on uh, identifying you from your eyes so that masks uh, wouldn't work uh, to stop the facial recognition from identifying you, if you like. Uh, but thanks. Uh, and I don't know an awful lot about it, but I, I thought that was the case. I'm sure somebody will put me right if I am wrong. Uh, another text from somebody who says, I'm fed up hearing about what the guards need. What about what people of this country need? Protection. The guards are not doing their jobs. The staff uh, they employ are not suitable for the job uh, that they're paid to do. Keystone cops taking wages for standing in checkpoints. This country needs to be protected by police who can do their jobs and it's simple as, as that. They cannot keep law and order. What happened? in this city last week was a disgrace, says our caller. Thank you indeed for that. Sheila in touch with us about the riots too and she says Helen McEntee is doing a fantastic job. Why don't the media leave her alone to do her job? She's a lady and very responsible person. It is a disgrace to watch the violence that flared up in Dublin last week but was this was not the Minister's fault so please leave her alone to do her job. Uh, along with her colleagues in government. Thanks uh, for that. Uh, Tommy and Dundalk says the thugs who were responsible for the carnage that we witnessed in Dublin last week should not be granted bail and should be kept in jail over Christmas. If they are released on bail and allowed back onto the streets, they'll simply do the same thing again. Thanks uh, for that, Tommy. Uh, I'm not sure if you heard the Taoiseach's press conference on Friday or parts of it. We heard some of it uh, this morning. We'll hear a little bit more uh, now and uh, this message to some of uh, those rioters, uh, the members of the far right. I spoke with the Minister for Justice and the Garda Commissioner last night and met the Garda Commissioner this morning. We have sufficient Gardaí and there are more in training. We have sufficient equipment and there is more on the way. We have strong laws and the Garda Commissioner is free to use the Public Order Act over the weekend as is required. We will pass new laws in the coming weeks to enable the Gardaí to make better use of the CCT evidence they collected yesterday. And also, we'll modernise our laws against incitement to hatred and hatred in general. And that is more required than ever was the case before. And we will do that in weeks as well. Right, so a, a lot of promises. A question then of whether you believe those promises or if they'll be realised and that it'll bring about an end to the type of behaviour that disgusted most people. To all those cowardly champions of Ireland who took to the streets of Dublin last night, let me say one thing. Ask your sisters, ask your friends, ask everyone you know what they fear most on our streets. They're afraid of you, afraid of your anger and your rage, afraid of your violence, your hate, and how you blame others for your problems. As a government, we will be relentless in protecting our citizens and defending our people. The Guardi will be on the streets in large numbers and will do whatever it takes to fight back waves of ignorance and criminality. The Minister for Justice will coordinate with the Commissioner 
to ensure we never witness such terrible scenes as the 23rd of November 2023 ever again. Let's hope that is uh, the case. Uh, that's uh, the Taoiseach. Thanks to Paddy, who's been on the phone to us uh, this morning. Paddy thinks it's really unfair that people are expecting the government and the minister to have pre-empted the riots of last week and made provisions for what happened. Paddy asks, how on earth could anyone have pre-empted what happened last Thursday? Nobody have con- could have done that, he says. You'd have to be a psychic to foresee those scenes. He feels that calls for resignations are unfair and they'll serve no real purpose. Brian in touch with us too. Brian said he wants to know why the first wave of Gardaí who responded on Thursday evening did so without protective headgear and riot shields. How could they be expected to tackle these yobs without proper protection? It was shocking to see some of the scenes in the capital, particularly when Gardaí were isolated and then battered with no real way of defending themselves. Brian thinks that questions need to be asked of who is in charge of health and safety with the Gardaí about how their members are armed when being asked to respond to these situations. Being Irish means more than saluting the tricolour, beating your chest and pointing to where you were born. It means living up to the ideals represented by our flag. It means being true to our own history and it means acting with compassion for others. And today I call on us all to remember who we really are because we're better than this. And it's time we came together and reminded others who claim to speak for us about what our country really stands for. That's, uh, the, that's the Taoiseach. And I think it's very clear uh, from the comments coming to us uh, that these thugs don't speak for most of us, uh, certainly for don't speak for most of uh, the people listening to this programme. Uh, a lot of people very annoyed still. Uh, this Monday morning after what happened on Thursday night. Margaret says if Gardaí are not allowed to use whatever means necessary to quell these rioting thugs then our democracy will be eroded by them. The thugs that is their thuggery last Thursday proved they don't care about law and order or anyone else for that matter. They are scumbag criminals and they need to be stopped before they destroy our country. Thanks uh, for that. Somebody else says let's hope the government doesn't embarrass us on St. Patrick's Day by promoting Ireland as a great place to do business in or to live in either, says another caller. Another WhatsApp then from Jack who says, Michael, we are too soft in this country. Just watch the boys going into court after the riot. Not a bother on them. Free legal aid, not costing them anything, so they don't care. Wake up, Ireland, before it's too late, says Jack. Margaret says, listening to the Sinn Féin spokesperson, that was Pad Daly, spokesperson on Justice earlier on, talking about last Thursday's awful events and saying that the guard didn't act quick enough. Well, did anyone in Sinn Féin know last Thursday what was going to happen? Making a political football out of something so serious is playing into the sewer rat's hands. I'd say that they're all laughing at what's going on now with politicians. Why would anyone want to join the Gardaí when these criminal thugs can sue them? No criminal should be allowed to sue anyone. The Gardaí did their best. We already have civil liberties 
talking about body cams for Gardaí. If you obey the law, a camera shouldn't bother you, of course. The poor criminals don't want them as it would infringe on their civil liberties. Well, there was nothing civil with those thugs last Thursday and they didn't care about anyone else's civil liberties when people were trapped in shops and restaurants. Gardaí need body cams to recognise them, says Margaret. Thank you. That's all we've time for. Maggie Maguire researched. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael Godwin. We'll see you for our next program tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.